Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Good to be together in the house of the Lord this morning to share. We continue uh, in our series on the Beatitudes, and this morning I want to share with you about uh, purity of heart, purity of heart, and uh, Jesus uh, has given the, the disciples or the crowd that were before him uh, some teaching, and here uh, he, he continues, and uh, he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and I'll read it first in the New International Version and then in the message. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In the message, it says it this way, you're blessed when you get your inside world, that's your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. The word mind and heart uh, in the original uh, is used interchangeably. Uh, it's often the word cardia, where we get uh, this actual uh, heart, blood pump, the cardia, uh, when your, your physical heart is sore, uh, you go to a cardiologist. Well, uh, that's the word that's used here. But it's often used interchangeably with the word psyche, uh, where we get the English word psyche, the, the mind, your thinking. And there's a whole lot of other words as well, your nous and, and things like that. But right now, Jesus is saying, you're blessed uh, when you, your heart is in the right place. And the outcome of that is that you will see God. And, and the message says it quite beautifully. You're blessed when you get the inside world, that's kind of what's going on in, in this uh, heart and in your thinking, uh, you're blessed uh, when they are put right. And the outcome of that is that you can see God uh, in the outside world. I think uh, when we're watching uh, the debate uh, on what's taking place in trying to uh, put laws in place, laws in morality in that next slide, uh, when, when it's quite fascinating how people are able to justify certain things uh, and are able to, to justify, uh, to put laws in place about abortion and, and euthanasia and then different laws on discrimination and, and harassment, um, unethical accounting and technological abuse and, and different data privacies and health and safety and, and nepotism and, and trying to put all these laws into place uh, to discover what is right and wrong. And I think we live in an amazing country and we all think that we are pretty moral as individuals, that we're doing well. You, you know, we don't walk around with guns and shoot one another. Uh, we, we do use a machete every now and then and, and wipe people out. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're not too bad. You, you wouldn't say that we are a corrupt nation. You wouldn't say that we are an evil nation, uh, you know, compared to some other nations uh, that we hear about. But at the end of the day, how do we discover what is true morality? 
What is true morality? And how do we uh, set the standard on what true morality is? Because here Jesus is saying it's what's going on on the inside that determines how you behave on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside, uh, how you see things on the outside. And I think we're living in a day and age where, where we can often put uh, our, we can put the Bible through the grid of culture. Now, try and understand this. It's not extremely profound. Uh, it, we often put the Bible through the grid of culture and whatever comes out, you know, and we can often justify it by saying, well, you know what? Uh, that's how they used to do it in the old days. You know, that, those were the laws in the old days. You know, we live in a, in a, in a modern society. In fact, we're a postmodern society. And so surely those rules and regulations can't apply. Well, friends, rather than putting the Bible through the grid of culture, we need to put our culture through the standard of the Bible. Does our culture match up with the standard of the Bible, and what comes out of that will determine how we think and obviously how we behave. And so, in that next slide, limiting what a person can do outwardly does not change who that person is inwardly. And what I mean by that is that there are certain rules and regulations that can be regulated through the law. We put certain laws, rules, and regulations in place. There are certain things you are allowed to do and certain things you are not allowed to do. And when you begin to put those rules and regulations in place, some people behave better than others. But behavior flows from the inward nature of a person. The inward nature of a person. In other words, a purity of heart, to put it in this particular context. Because it's what's going on on the inside, the matter of the heart that really counts and how we behave ourselves. Uh, in fact, you know, Paul struggled in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things I'm supposed to be doing, I'm not doing. And so there is that struggle, that tension constantly going on. And what Jesus is saying in, in the Beatitudes here, uh, and certainly the one in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. How do we get to a place where there is purity of heart? He's emphasizing that. Because what's going on on the inside will result how we behave on the outside. Just before Stephen got stoned, he said to the people, he said, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. No wonder you got stoned. Listen to what he says. You stiff-necked people. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts, and the word he uses there is cardia, the same word that Jesus uses here. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. The next verse, they began to stone him. And so what is Stephen saying here? That in the Old Testament, there was a, a literal circumcision of the flesh. But here, there is to be the circumcision of the heart. 
Because when the heart and the ears are circumcised, you begin to have a purity of heart, and you begin to see the way Jesus sees. No wonder he says, blessed are the pure in heart. But their hearts and their ears, Stephen says, are uncircumcised. You see, in the Old Testament, the physical circumcision was important. That brought about identity. In the New Testament, Jesus was on about circumcision of heart. The spiritual cutting out of who he is, this purity of heart. And so let me share a couple of points with you. Number one, pure heart attitude. Pure heart attitude. And the word again, cardia, means understanding. It means intelligence. It means my will. Because I do it from here, you know, they're used interchangeably. They're only about six inches apart, but they're used interchangeably to determine my will, my character. That word means my inmost part. And so Jesus here is dealing with these principles that impact the very area on how we live our lives. It's a simple sentence, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But what does that mean? It means a personal encounter with God. Not going to church or doing certain things and having uh, you know, your name down on a certain role. That's helpful. But it means a personal encounter with God. Because you begin to put things in priority that are important. You begin to put things in place of what is important. And so there's this call to purity of heart. A change of attitude, and you can't go and buy it. You can't go to Coles or Woolies or wherever and say, can I have $10 of attitude, please? So what is being said here, be careful, because when you have a, a pure encounter with God, things begin to change. Your attitude begins to change. And you no longer uh, begin to think in, in, in ways that, that are just yourself. You see, when I think only of myself, that's the position of my heart. It's selfish. The disposition of heart is when I have this encounter with God. And he begins to work and make my heart pure. You see, when you've had this encounter with God, you begin to realize that you can't fool people anymore. You can say one thing, but you begin to act as if you have never had that encounter with God. But when you have had an encounter with God, there is this, this remorse, there is this regret when you do things wrong. You see, humanity can be fooled, but God cannot be fooled. God cannot be fooled. In fact, we're reminded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for God looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that word uh, in the Hebrew for outward appearance, man looks at through the eye. If he's big and he's strong, he's acceptable to go to war. No, God looks at the heart, at the heart. Again, Proverbs 21 verse 2. 
about outward behavior, the, the real issue. And, and it says here, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I'm always right. Everybody else is wrong. But God sees what's the heart, what's my attitude, what is the motive behind it? What is the motive behind it? Listen to what, what David prays for his son Solomon. Men, if you've got children, this is a beautiful prayer. 1 Chronicles 29, 19. And give to my son Solomon or to my daughter, whoever, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testaments, and thy statutes, and to do them all. David prayed that his son will have a pure heart. A pure heart. Folks, that's all we can ask for as parents, that our children have a pure heart, that our grandchildren have a pure heart. The other, on the other hand, listen to, to uh, what we read in 2 Chronicles 12, 14 about King Rehoboam. When he began to reign, it says, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He did not set his heart to seek the Lord. In other words, he, he didn't want to have a pure heart to follow after God's statutes. Imagine wanting evil. Now, folk, sin is so nice. It's so nice. It's so attractive. But that's not what God wants because that's not the standard of a pure heart before God. It's like a magnet to the world and the things of this world. But Jesus is talking about an attitude that is circumcised and cut out for him and him alone. And so what does it mean when Jesus speaks of having a purity of heart? Does it mean we need to be perfect or, or sinless? Well, I don't think so. If that's the case, we're all in deep trouble. This word pure in the Greek is the word katharos, where we get the English word catharsis, catharsis, a cleansing. It, it, it's got to do with, with something that, that is beginning to become clean and pure, a catharsis. But it means that it needs to come out. All the dirt needs to come out for it to be clean. And this word was often used um, when, when you talk about uh, cleaning something. Like, for example, uh, when you uh, clean the house, uh, it, it was dirty, it is now clean. But it's more than that. It's more than just cleanliness. It's purity. Like, you don't add water to milk. In other words, it's unpasteurized. It's pure. It's like uh, the, the best way to get a dross out of a metal is to, to burn it, to purify it. And so that's what uh, this word means, to, to cleanse it from impurities. To cleanse it from impurities. And so they are not mixed with the with that that is pure. It's unmixed and unadulterated. 
And so, uh, you know, it, it's got to do with my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed are those who are, uh, have decided to go the right path and not go this way or that way, and not desire to do that. And folk, uh, the temptation is not sin. Temptation is when something comes knocking at your door. It's what you do with that temptation. When temptation comes, you open the door, you see that this could be detrimental to my spiritual walk, and you close the door. But if you open the door and welcome temptation in, that will result in sin. The outcome of that will result in sin. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be pure in heart, not with a mixed mind. Don't be double-minded is what Jesus is saying to us there. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Watch over your heart with all diligence and from it, or, or for from it, flow the springs of life. Or death, you see. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. You see, I don't wake up one morning and say, today I'm going to sin. No, it's when I begin to meditate on that which is wrong, the outcome of that will be sin. When Jesus says, you know, your father Moses said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus is saying, well, that is, you know, those are the consequences of, uh, the, you know, the, the traditions and the ceremonies and the laws of the Old Testament. I want you to have an uncircumcised heart or a pure heart. And what Jesus is saying there, if you look at a person with murder in your eyes, it's just as well, or anger in your eyes, it's just as well you commit murder. What is Jesus saying if we're to answer that in July 2023? I think it would be this, that when I meditate on somebody and want, or with anger on somebody, the end result will be that I will commit that sin. If you look at a woman with lust in your eye, Jesus said, just as well you commit the sin. What is he saying? Well, you know, somebody beautiful walks past, wow, that's beautiful, and you move away. And that's not what Jesus is, is saying there. What he's saying is when you begin to meditate on it and give in to it, there is an unpure heart that will result in sin, and you will not see God, unless there's repentance, obviously. And so there needs to be this catharsis, this purity of heart is what Jesus is saying. With a pure motive, the way we do things, this undivided commitment to God, a devotion that says I'm going to serve him and serve him alone as much as I possibly can. Double-mindedness is extremely dangerous in the kingdom of God. And until we actually go, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ and Christ alone, we're going to struggle. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. James said it this way in chapter 4, verse 4. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. 
And then in verse 8, he gives us the solution and he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The word cleanse there, same Greek word as pure, katharizo, empty, become pure, empty yourself from the junk of this bad attitude, he's saying. Make it clean, purge it, purify it. Purify your hearts. That will purify, make it morally pure. Not stay away from it physically, but make it morally pure. In other words, when you cleanse yourself from all the bad, you begin to put the good in, and the outcome is to do good things. So he's saying, examine your heart. Look, I love um, William Barclay. Uh, One of the best things I invested in was... um, these little William Barclay books, uh, they cost me a dollar each. If you can get them, they look this, this color, uh, a real asset to have on your, on your bookshelf. Uh, and, and he says it this way. He says, blessed is the man whose motives are always entirely unmixed, unmixed, for they shall see God. In other words, your commitment is to do the things of God, and you know what? God sees your heart, and he will do his bit so your attitude can be right and so you can stay away from the junk and the temptation or give in to the temptation that comes your way. And so if we examine ourselves, what do we find within? Do we fall short of the standard? Well, probably but that means we begin to strive to purify the heart. And I think many of us, even as preachers, have contributed to this. And we say, listen, come to Christianity and all your problems will be solved. I'm reading the autobiography of, of Peter Lyndon James. And he says, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is to become a Christian. And I kind of go, why? Because you can't smoke a kilogram of marijuana every day, he can't, you know, and he explains that to us, because I can't do the things that were easy for me. Sadly, those things landed me up in jail, and God found me, he says. He changed my heart, and he's still making it pure, because it's rather, it's easier to just live like a pagan in the world and do whatever you like. And eventually land up in jail. But instead, it's this purity of heart that will allow you to see God. You're constantly striving for it. Folk, when I was younger, clearly, you know, did my time in the army and was naughty and did all the crazy things. And had this, the Holy Spirit kind of bugging me the whole time. And, and the next morning, in, in, you know, I would come before God and not confess my sin, but confess my stupidity. I've got to be stupid if I know the difference between right and wrong and hold on to the wrong. It's called immaturity and for me, stupidity. But when I came to my senses, when God changed my heart, I slowly had to work through all that junk and change attitude and get rid of that catharsis, you know, that, that purity. And it was painful, painful. But slowly, we begin to invite him in. And the more he comes in, the more the junk needs to go. Folks, can I say this? Don't wait for the junk to leave before you come, become pure in heart. That will never happen. 
But when you put the good in, the bad goes. Darkness exists. It's when you turn the light on that the darkness goes. When you fill yourself up with the things of God, so the junk goes. Catharsis. Call to Christ is clear. It's clear. Secondly, pure heart method. And that's to desire God. When our motives are mixed, you see, and we're double-minded, then it's hard to desire God. Then we've got one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. God wants undivided commitment. And the first four of these Beatitudes that we spoke about uh, the last few weeks have got to do with preparing us for action. Preparing us for action. Like, you know, the, 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 the attitude of, of having to be poor in spirit. In other words, you know, to, to, to come and understand my sinfulness, that I need God in chapter 5, verse 3 of Matthew. In verse 4, the second one, to, to mourn, to have this godly sorrow. To not just go, well, I'm bad, no. But to have this godly sorrow and, and, and mourn that I'm bad news and only He can make me good news. The third one in verse 5, to, to be gentle and, and tender before God. Because humility is, is a major mark for those who, who walk the road with God. And then verse 6, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, when, when we're justified, he begins to do a work within us. When we've come to, to this uh, this relationship with God, he begins to do a work within us. No wonder David said in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The, the message says it this way, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Let me say that again. Make a fresh start in me. In other words, renew my heart and create in me, you know, the, 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 the six days of creation and the seventh day, and make a whole Genesis week in my heart. Change me, transform me from chaos to order. From chaos to order. And that word renew in the, in the, the Hebrew means to repair. Uh, and the picture there is, is of a fisherman that's sitting, that's repairing the nets. You can never catch fish if your nets are, are broken and have holes in them because the fish will slip through it. But if you're, you're he's saying, Lord, cleanse me and, and make my heart right. Make my heart right. Repair it, God. Renew it. Give me a fresh start. There's a story of uh, uh, this beautiful tree in this lovely town. And, and at the end of the town, there was this beautiful tree. That was their pride and joy. And, uh, you know, you would drive through this town. Uh, no traffic lights, just a quaint little town. Uh, and you would go to the end of that street, go through the roundabout, see this beautiful 
uh, tree that uh, was there, and you would exit the town and move on. And after a violent storm one night, a large, that large tree, which over the years had become a stately giant, was found lying across the pathway in a park. Nothing but a splintered stump was left. Closer examination showed that it was rotten at the core because thousands of tiny insects had eaten away at its heart. The weakness of that tree was not brought on by the sudden storm. It began the very moment the first insect nested within its bark. With the Holy Spirit's help, let's be very careful to guard our purity. Oh, just one more, just one more, and then I'll come to faith in Christ. Folk, now, now is when God wants a pure heart, undivided commitment to him. Thirdly, and in closing, pure heart outcome. You'll be connected, to be connected. You see, the reason we need to be pure in heart is so we get to know God. And folk, there are two words in the Greek for, for know, the one is gnosis, where we get the word uh, gnosticism, to, to know, like head knowledge. And Paul writes about that, you know that people know God. But Paul is saying there needs to be epignosis. Epi is a preposition, so he's saying deep knowledge. Knowledge that is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know him intimately. I know people, you know people. But that intimacy is what Paul is talking about. To know Christ and to know him intimately with undivided attention. To be connected to him. It's like when you're driving somewhere and uh, you, you go out of range of the radio signal. You don't hear it well. And, and what, what, what we need to do is come back to where we can where the signal is where we can hear properly and hear clearly. John chapter 15 talks about abiding in him. Abiding in him. Now, abiding in him, the word menor, is not, yeah, I pop in every now and then. No. It's to remain in him, to abide in him. That's where I live because that's who I am in Christ. Once I was ex-Christ, now I am in Christ. I make, I make my abode in him. And in him alone. See, what is the outcome of that? Well, we'll be connected. And we'll be connected to God. And we will give him glory. Why? Because we sense his presence. The word presence and the word glory is the same Greek word. It's the word doxa, D-O-X-A. We'll give him doxa because we feel his doxa. When we feel his presence, the outcome is that we give him glory because of who he is. And we know that we know that we know epignosis, that it's God. He's the one that enables us to do that. You see, to be pure in heart, is to be part of a rare breed. And can I say this with absolute respect? To be pure in heart is to be a rare breed even in the church today. Even in the church today. Because he wants my heart to be circumcised and cut out for him and for him 
alone. For him alone. This was my quiet time yesterday. Leave from our little book. The will to loyalty. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will is the whole person being active. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it. I must will to obey and I must will to receive God's spirit. When God gives a vision of truth, it is never a question of what he will do, but of what we will do. And so uh, what Oswald Chambers is saying in my utmost for his highest, when I begin to hand over and submit to his will, he gives me what I need to do. And then I have the will to do or not to do what he chooses me to do. Profess to him, I will be loyal. Immediately you choose to be loyal to Jesus Christ. You're a witness against yourself. Don't consult other Christians, but profess before him, I will serve thee. I will be loyal to you and to you alone. It is easy to yield allegiance to God. And as we recall those moments now, the Spirit of God brings before you some new proposition. And when you commit yourself to Him, you get connected to Him, and you want to do what He wants you and me to do. I don't know where you are this morning. It would be wrong for me to, to end the service, you know, but we, we can often be up and down, up and down, and that's life. But to be up with God and down with God is the best place to be. Because we are totally committed to him. Totally committed to him. We're about to sing our final song. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. But if you're honest with yourself, are you on fire for God? Are you at the place where there is not just knowledge of him, but epignosis, knowing him intimately, and we can always do better. But is your heart cut out for him? Are you totally committed to him? Not for my sake, folk, not for the church's sake, but for God's sake and for your sake. To be totally committed to him, to know that you know that you know that Jesus is on the throne of your heart. He, he, he reigns supreme, and it's his plan and purpose that you long for more than anything else. And, and, and you're not worried about that. You're not, oh, sometimes this, sometimes that. But that you're going to do your very best to serve him with all that you have. John Wesley had this covenant prayer that uh, is this... Uh, it demonstrates this level of sacrifice and devotion to Jesus. And I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but if you want to stand and, and pray this prayer with me, uh, we can read it together. And it forces us to ask, how committed am I to the things of God? How committed am I to the things of God? And am I willing to submit my desires at the very cross of Jesus and take on His desires for me? If you want to pray this prayer with me, 
Why don't you stand now and we'll pray together before we sing our closing song. Let's pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.